So if you would grab your uh, notes, a little booklet, we will get started with that. So our series, uh, Jesus the Man from Heaven, this is our fifth lesson. We've had two canceled because of weather, so I haven't decided what to cut yet, but we're not cutting this because we're doing it tonight, so it'll be great. So our objectives for the class, um, in a study of who Christ is, we want to know who he is according to Scripture. Uh, We don't want to come to Scripture with our own ideas of what we think he should be, but we want to read the Word and have the correct knowledge of Christ and... uh, First Peter, cha- or sorry, Second Peter, chapter one, kind of gives us a fun way to look at this, and so we've looked at this in past weeks. So we'll just kind of mention it quickly here tonight. But uh, it talks about how uh, we should be growing in our knowledge of Jesus. We should be reading the Word and seeing who God is and who Jesus is um, as one of the members of the Godhead, and be growing in our knowledge of who he is. And that we don't want it to just stop there. That's great and needed. But we also want to uh, believe in him more and understand how our lives interact with him as believers in him, as someone who's been joined to him as a child of God. And so when someone believes in the gospel that Jesus died and rose again for their sins, they are united with Christ and they become uh, united and then we, we receive the blessings of God through Jesus, through our faith in him and our relationship with him. And so we've looked at things like, no one comes into the Father but through me. Uh, there's, there's lots of those uh, verses that discuss how we come to God through Jesus and then we also receive blessing from God through Jesus. And uh, we'll look some more at that at the end tonight too. And then we don't want to just stop with that. We want to let our understanding of who Jesus is and who we are in him uh, determine how we live our lives and let it affect the way we live day to day. So last week we looked at how in Jesus' uh, incarnation and him coming and being born as a baby and becoming taking on human flesh and becoming a man, he set aside the independent use of some of his divine attributes. So we looked at Philippians 2 and how it discusses how he Uh, made himself of no reputation, he emptied himself, and uh, took on the form of a bondservant. And so the idea behind that is that he was willing to set some things aside um, in order to live his life as a human, as he asked us to live our lives. And so he didn't become less than God, he was still fully God, uh, but he set aside some of the things that were rightfully his because he is God. So, tonight we're going to talk about uh, how did Jesus then live his life if he set aside some of those, uh, some of his attributes, his access to them. So, here I have a battery. This is a D battery. And I just remember as a kid that anything that used D batteries used like 12 of them. Not, it wasn't really 12, but it was like 60 batteries. And it's like, couldn't we just use like two of these? You know, everything else runs on two double A's or like three triple A's, but a D battery runs on like 60 batteries and they're really expensive. So I, I haven't replaced anything that uses a D battery in a long time. I don't know if there's still stuff around, but one of the things that when I was a kid we had that used these was a keyboard. And it was like a miniature keyboard and I think it used, I don't know, it was either four or six. I feel like it's always an even number. Uh, but it was just so fun as a kid with that ancient technology to be able to have like it not plugged into the wall and be able to use batteries. I don't know, that was just so fun. You could like go outside and play the piano and it had like techno sounds and you could do crazy stuff. But today we, we don't use those as much anymore. We have We have lots of portable battery packs that we use for things. And so to help us think through how Jesus did live his life, I have a, uh, a, a really bad illustration that might help us think through it a little bit, but it's nothing like who Jesus is. Uh, so hopefully it helps. If it doesn't help, then just ignore me. 
<laughs> so this here is the churches. And it's a really cool device that can pump up tires or like inflate a, an air mattress or like a, like a ball or whatever. It has like different attachments. Um, it does other stuff too, doesn't it? Or is that it? Are those the two things it does? It looks cool. That's true. It has a good presentation, pleasing to the eye. The, the handle is very ergonomic. It's excellent. Oh, man. So one of the fun things about this is it has multiple ways that you can use it. So it has, it's Black & Decker. This is not a product placement. Uh, but it uses these 20-volt batteries. And so you can put that in there and that runs it. You can run it wirelessly, which is pretty cool. Uh, but you can also switch it. So I think I can shut it off here by holding this down. You can also switch it to alternating current or use a wall plug for it. Okay, so you see that? You can plug it into just a normal outlet to run it. And then on the bottom, there's even a cigarette lighter. I don't know what they're supposed to be called. 12-volt things. <laughs> Uh, that it can run on as well. So it's very versatile. But for our purposes, we're just going to use the battery and the normal power cord. So the, the point of the illustration is that in Jesus' life, he rightfully has, uh, we'll say it's the power cord. He rightfully has, no, 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 it's got to be the other way. How do I do this? I've got to cover it up. He rightfully has access to plug in and be fully God, right? He's fully God. He has all of God's attributes. But what Jesus does in his incarnation is he unplugs from some of his divine attributes temporarily. And he plugs in the battery pack. So he's no longer running off of his own power. He's running off of the battery's power which is the Holy Spirit. So hopefully that's not too complicated. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's not like this, but it is kind of like this. It's similar. And the way to think about it is Jesus, in his life, he has the power to do anything that we see him do. But he chooses not to use that power. He chooses not to access that power because he lives his life in dependence on the Holy Spirit who fills him. And so it doesn't make him any less God. Uh, he's just living his life in full dependence on the Holy Spirit. And so he, he set apart the independent use of his divine attributes. And then when we see him doing God-like things, he's doing it in the power of the Spirit. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight is his dependence on the Spirit. So we, we looked at this verse last week, but we're going to jump into the notes now and turn over to John chapter 2 and prove this idea to us that Jesus uh, set aside the independent use of some of his divine attributes. So he didn't become anything less than God. He was still fully God. But in taking on humanity, he emptied himself of the use of some of his divine attributes. So John 2, uh, 23 through 25 reads, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man. For he knew what was in man. And so this verse, and there's other verses where Jesus knows what's in man. He knows what they're thinking. And I don't know about you, but I don't know what other people around me are thinking. That's a, an attribute that God possesses, where he knows what is in people. He knows uh, what's in men's hearts. And so how does Jesus know that? So if we were just to assume that he's using his own power to do that, uh, we can do that. But if we turn over to Mark chapter, th or sorry, if we turn over to Mark 13, we see that Jesus doesn't know something. 
So on the one hand, he knows what's in man, and on the other hand, he doesn't know what's in man. And so which is it? So Mark 13, 32 uh, says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And so we, we find this uh, seemingly contradiction in Scripture where Jesus is at one point omniscient and at one point not. And so which is it? And I think the answer, as we'll, as we'll study and see, is that he's uh, sometimes, or at all times in his earthly ministry, not reaching into his own abilities to do things as a member of the Godhead, but instead uh, using the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in the John passage, through the Spirit, he knows what's in man, but in the Mark passage, he remains, he leaves himself in ignorance of the day and the hour. Okay, so I've got to catch up on my slides here. So we're studying Jesus' relationship with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus knows, Jesus does not know. So it should not struggle or should not be a problem for us after this study that Jesus doesn't know something as God because he has uh, willingly given up his knowledge of something uh, because he emptied himself. So that's the, the next blank there. Jesus temporarily set aside the independent use of some of his divine attributes. And so that leaves us with the question, how then do we see him doing things that only God can do in his earthly ministry? And that's the next blank. So in Jesus' earthly ministry, he walked and worked in the power of the Spirit like he asks us to do. So we won't uh, do all the same things we see God or see Jesus doing in his life, but Jesus lived his life, Second Peter tells us, as an example, maybe it's First Peter, I can't remember, as an example of how we are to live, and he did not uh, just power his way through with his own uh, divine power. Instead, he, he set aside those things and did it in the power of the Spirit that filled him. Does anyone have any questions about that first material there? If you ever have a question or anything, throw up your hand and we'll uh, consider it together. Okay, so moving on to the second page, uh, we're going to look at five Holy Spirit landmarks in the life of Jesus. (laughs) So that's my fun way of thinking about it. And to make it more fun, at each one, it's going to be like a, a road trip. So you know on a road trip, you're, you're traveling and you've been in the car for like four hours and you finally stop, okay? So at each one, we have to come up with a way to like stretch or like do something that you guys do on a road trip to like refresh yourself and like, you know, wake up to keep going, all right? So sorry, but that's what we're doing. So let's begin with number one. So we're going to look at kind of five uh, ways that the Spirit interacted in the life of Christ at different points in his life. So it's kind of like we're on a scenic drive and we're just kind of looking out the window and and seeing these landmarks. That's that's the plan. So let's go to Luke chapter 1. So this one doesn't necessarily have to do with Uh, his spirit filling, but it shows that from the very beginning of Christ's life that the spirit was heavily involved, right? Uh, So let's look at Luke chapter 1 and read verses 34 and 35. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be? So the angel just told her that she's going to have a kid and that she hasn't, uh, that yeah, she's not married. And she's like, how can I have a baby if I haven't known a man. So that's what she asks. How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And so from the very beginning, we see that the Spirit is uh, very closely involved with the life of Christ, even the beginning of his life. And so our blank here, 
is conception. So the Holy Spirit brought about the miraculous conception of Jesus, right? It's a, it's a virgin birth. It's impossible. And that's even what uh, the angel mentions. Uh, if we keep reading in verse 36 and 37, it says, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And so from the beginning, Jesus' life is marked by the impossible uh, through the working of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's the first one. So we got to get out of the car and stretch. What, what's your favorite way to like uh, wake yourself up on a road trip when you've been in the car for a long time? I know that was like 30 seconds, but I see lots of yawns. Yeah, so someone's got to pick one. Stretch? Okay, everybody stand up. Thank you, Nancy. <laughs> All right, what's a favorite stretch? Just, just reach up. Uh, and then, how about we touch our knees? Head, shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes. We won't go that far. Okay, you can sit down. Good job, good job. So that's landmark number one in the life of Jesus that we see is the beginning of his life, the conception of him uh, with Mary was through the work of the Holy Spirit. All right, landmark number two. Let's go to Mark chapter one. I always have to sing the books of the New Testament song in my head because I can't remember Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So here we are. <laughs> you should be glad that I'm not singing it out loud. Uh, Mark 1, 9 through 11. So this is one of the shorter accounts of Jesus' baptism. Uh, Mark, or sorry, Matthew 4 and Luke 4 have a longer one. So this is kind of a fun uh, glance at this one. So Mark 1, 9 through 11. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so uh, the second one here is his baptism. So the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism. So this is our second landmark. And there's, there's some disagreement amongst Bible-believing people on if Jesus was filled with the Spirit from childhood or if he's filled with the Spirit here uh, because the Spirit descends upon him. So I don't know. From this point on, he is filled with the Spirit for sure. <laughs> and that's when it begins to point it out. I think what's happening, uh, what, why, why the uh, gospel writers point this out is because it's pointing out that he is the Messiah. He's the anointed one, the prophesied anointed one by the Spirit. And so he's fulfilling the roles of prophet, priest, and king. And his anointing of the Spirit allows him to do that according to prophecy and things like that. So I think in Matthew specifically is the one that I've studied most. Uh, it's showing that he is the uh, the prophesied king to come. And as you remember with Solomon and David and Saul, that was backwards, sorry. But with Saul, remember he had the Spirit's anointing as the king of Israel, and then he lost it, right? And it went to David. And so the, the kingship anointing is something that is transferred from king to king. And I think that is what's happening in the baptism at least, is that God's saying, this is my king, this is the Messiah, this is my chosen one, follow him. He's the one that has the spirit. And, and then you remember David in, in Psalm 51, he, he prays that, you know, please take not your spirit away from me after he sinned, because uh, he watched that happen with Saul. And so uh, he, he repents and remains king. But I think that's part of it, uh, at least what's happening in the baptism is God saying, you know, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, and he is anointed with the Spirit. Uh, and then that subpoint there, 
uh, the spirits indwelling and the recognition of sonship are connected. And so we'll look at Romans 8 um, at the end, but it's also connected there where uh, because we have the spirit, we are now called sons and we can call God Abba Father. And so we'll look at that at the end, uh, but it's, it's a fun connection that uh, the spirit uh, is just, he gives so many uh, through our union with Jesus, uh, we receive so many blessings because of the indwelling spirit. Okay, that's landmark number two. <laughs> Does someone have a, a different way that they refresh themselves on road trips? Singing. Oh, he had his hand up first. We'll do singing next. Excellent. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. I'll, I won't yell fire. I feel like that's a bad idea. Um, flames. I'll yell flames. Okay. No, nobody, it's, there's not a real fire. Uh, and then everyone stand up and spin around and sit down. How's that sound? Okay. All right. On three. One. No. Or like, like you would flee... Flames. So pretty fast. Okay, one, two, three, flames! Good job, good job. You all would have escaped, escaped, however you say that word. I still can't say that word. Excellent, two landmarks. We're almost halfway there, guys. This is like the kids' classic question. Are we there yet, Dad? You just stop answering at some point. It's like, nope, nope, we're not there. Okay, landmark three. Uh, let's go to Luke chapter four. <clears throat> so here is a, a Luke's account of Jesus' temptation. And so we'll read kind of the verses around it uh, that mention some things about the Spirit. So, Uh, Luke 4, uh, verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And so we see that uh, this this takes place in the chronology of Christ's life after his baptism. Uh, So you can see that before the genealogy in Luke. It's right before it in Matthew. And so now he's been baptized And now he's ready to pursue his ministry that God has anointed him to do. And so here he is, uh, right after his baptism, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and then the Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And so we're going to take more of a principle here that the Holy Spirit filled and directed Jesus in his life. And so specifically here, Jesus is filled and he's being led into the wilderness to be tempted, but it's true of his whole life that he was filled with the Spirit and did whatever uh, the Spirit directed him to do. And we will look in a second at some of the the contents of the temptation, but in verse 14 of chapter 4, it says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region. And so there again, Luke points out that even after the temptation, Jesus is still acting in the power of the Spirit. He returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And that's when he begins uh, his ministry to others um, in his his life. Uh, So just a couple fun things, uh, perhaps. Uh, This is my theological conclusion um, it's not mine. I was taught it. And I think it's true, but it's, it's kind of fun. And it's not necessarily in the text, but uh, it's an application or it's an end result of understanding these concepts. So in the subpoint there, Jesus was tempted to access the divine attributes he had temporarily set aside in his emptying. So if you think about his temptation, when he's tempted by the devil... He's asked to do things as the Son of God. And so I think partially what the devil is doing is he's saying, why don't you go outside of the 
what the Spirit wants you to do, who's filling you, who you've made it your, your goal to do everything in His power and reach out and plug back in and access the divine attributes that you set aside in your incarnation. And so in the things we see here, uh, we see him, you know, the devil in four, chapter 4, verse 3 say, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And so that would be a departure from God's will for him in the temptation and a departure from doing things in the power of the Spirit. And it would be going back and tapping into the attributes that he willingly set aside. And so it's, it's a temptation to leave the will of the Father, <clears throat> excuse me, the will of the Father and the, the power of the Spirit. And Jesus does not give into that. And we kind of see it again in verse 5 with the next temptation. Then the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been <clears throat> delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. And so I think here again, that uh, rule of the earth and authority of the earth is rightfully, it rightfully belongs to Jesus, and uh, the devil's tempting him to, to access that authority outside of God's will for him by submitting himself to the devil instead of submitting himself to God. And then again in uh, verse 9, the devil takes him up on the temple and says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. And I think it's again just a way of trying to get Jesus to leave the Father's will and the submission to the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit and to do his own thing. Uh, So... He doesn't do it, which is great. And he returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit after that. Okay, that's our third landmark. Does anyone have another fun way that they like to refresh themselves? Singing, that's what we're going to do. Okay, does anyone have a song on their heart that they've just been dying to sing? Oh, perfect. <clears throat> What's the number? The blue hymnal? Blue hymnal? 68. 68. Have you ever sang Holy, Holy, Holy in the car? To keep yourself awake? Anybody? <laughs> okay, we will sing the fourth. Because that's the one I point out later. So, And I should not start us. And you should turn off my mic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. It'll be great. I'll cover it. Uh, who wants to start us? Holy, holy. Our thrice holy God, don't take the Trinity for granted. Okay. Yeah. Even the other, or the other guy on the cross next to him, you know, if you're really, you know, God, why don't you get us down from here? <laughs> That's good. Yeah, he, uh, it's fun because it's the same temptations we face is to depart from the will of the Father and the filling of the Spirit of what God wants us to do. And we see Jesus do it perfectly. 
without accessing the things that would make it really easy for him. So it's super cool. Thank you, Jim. Okay, landmark number four. <clears throat> so we're still in Luke 4, and we're going to look at verse, uh, we'll do verses 18 and 19 together. So this is where Jesus uh, goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he picks up the scriptures and reads uh, where they're at in the text, and this is where he started reading from the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and, re- and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then the next two verses are really cool too. We'll read those. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so this is super cool because we see uh, Jesus, you know, through the, the divine orchestration of God, uh, come to the synagogue on the right day when they're reading in Isaiah. Is it, I forget where they're at in Isaiah. Is it 50, 42? Is it 42, 49? <clears throat> and... He goes up and reads, and then he sits down, and uh, it's a, an authoritative thing for him to sit down uh, there. As a, He's saying that he's a rabbi, that he has the authority to teach, and then he tells them that the scripture is fulfilled in their hearing. And what is that scripture? It's that the Spirit is upon him, and that he's anointed. The Spirit's upon him because he is the anointed one. And then it walks through... Uh, some of the cool things, or uh, yeah, I say cool for a lot. It is cool, but some of the amazing things that Jesus did um, and was prophesied to do in his life because he had the Spirit upon him. He did it in the power of the Spirit. So we're going to walk through uh, some of these great things in other texts together. So let's turn over to Matthew. Well, real quick, the blank is ministry. So the Holy Spirit was upon Jesus in his ministry. So when Jesus uh, ministers, he does it in the power of the Spirit. So let's go to Matthew 12. We're going to be turning a little bit here. Matthew 12, and we're just going to work through a few verses here. Uh, so starting in verse 15, we're going to back up a little bit. Matthew 12, 15. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from them, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Yet he warned them not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by, the, by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom I, my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. And it, he goes on, on there with uh, other great things, but for our purposes tonight, uh, he heals, and then it talks about how it's being fulfilled that he is the chosen servant that has the spirit upon him as he does this healing. So he fulfills this prophecy about the Messiah uh, being, uh, having the Spirit upon him and being the chosen one by healing uh, these people. And so that's uh, the first thing we see is Jesus is the one with the Spirit who heals. So this one doesn't directly say, you know, he healed in the power of the Spirit, but uh, they're connected. Uh, that the Spirit is upon him and he is uh, healing people. Uh, the next one is more direct. So let's go over to Matthew 12, just a couple of verses over, and read uh, starting in verse 22. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him so that the blind man... So that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw, and all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? And then they say, You can only cast out 
demons uh, by the power of Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And then in verse 25, Jesus knew their thoughts. Okay, so he, he knows this about them through the power of the Spirit. And he said, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so there Jesus directly points out that he has done this ministry of casting out the demons through the power of the Spirit. Uh, So that's the next one is Jesus casts out demons by the Spirit of God. And then we'll go over to Luke 10 for the third one. And for sake of time, we'll read, we'll just read verse 21. The first part of it, it says, In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit. And so this is a fun one that this is what we're called to do, is we're called to have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And here, Jesus is having joy in the Spirit. He's having the fruit of the Spirit um, in his ministry. So Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit is the third one. And then the last one is in John 3. And I'll just quote this one real quick. It just speaks about how God does not give the Spirit by measure. And so Jesus had all of the Spirit. So that blank is Spirit. Okay, that's our fourth landmark. Does someone have another way they like to stay awake? Roll the windows down, okay? All right, crank windows. Charlie's got it. So do you like stick your head out with your mouth open or... How how involved does this get? Okay, everyone grab your crank window. Crank it down. Make sure you do it the right way. Okay, don't break your handle. And then stick your head out. Don't knock your neighbor. And then head back in, and and then you can put it back up. That's great. How many of you have crank windows in your car? Does anybody have crank windows? Wow, I have crank windows. And they're fantastic. I will, they're just amazing. So, except my son, he likes to kick it with his foot, and then it's like slightly open, and it'll drive you crazy. Okay, landmark number five, Uh, Romans 8. Romans 8, we'll get back to our list here. Uh, Verse 11, 8, 11, there it is. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And so the last one here is uh, the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. And so we see uh, through all these, the spirit's involvement in Christ's life from his conception to his baptism in his life to his ministry and then even in Uh, his resurrection from the dead. So that's our fifth one. So we need a fifth thing. (laughs) We got one more. What's that? Go out to eat. eat? Okay, okay. Let's go. That's fine. That'd be great. Who's treating? Crackers in the kitchen? Oh, communion crackers in the kitchen. Wow. Yes. Come back Sunday in the family service for communion. Yep, it's out of control. Uh, okay, this, we're, we're there, guys. This is like the last stop, and we're there, right? So let's stand up and high-five someone. Stand up if you need to. Just high-five somebody. We're like, the trip's almost over. Hopefully no one gets left hanging. Find somebody. All right, guys, we made it. So I hope, I hope that's helpful for you to think through 
there, you know, we saw some insights there of Jesus saying that he's doing these things in the power of the Spirit, and throughout his ministry and life, he doesn't explain each of those things. And I think all of the things we see him doing, he's uh, using the power of the Spirit, and we uh, don't have that same access to divine attributes. So, in with the indwelling of the Spirit in our lives, we don't get to be omniscient or omnipresent or you know any of these things, uh, but we are called to live our lives in the same way. So, I told you that our road trip was over, but it's not quite over yet, okay? So, your third page is now what? And it's our constant fork in the road. So, in the New Testament epistles, we are constantly drawn to our choice to live in the flesh or to live in the spirit. And that's uh, our fork in the road as believers in Christ, is are we going to walk in the spirit or are we going to walk in the flesh? And so, uh, we'll look at a few of those things here. So first we know from John 14 and Acts 1 that Jesus gives his spirit to his followers. So we have the spirit of God living inside of us. And it's easy to breeze over that. And we don't have a ton of time, but we have the living God living in us and helping us. And uh, it is uh, such a joy uh, to have God's spirit in us uh, to help us to do things and, and to live life and to have joy in him and that we're not just left by ourselves, but we have the Spirit in us. Uh, so my plan was to look uh, pretty closely at Romans 8, but we might just kind of give some of the highlights of it, and then I'd encourage you to read it on your own time, and then we'll look at uh, another passage together. So let me put the blanks up for us. So in Romans 8... Uh, We're walked through a really beautiful picture of what life looks like for us now, now that we have the Spirit in us. So what we can do with this is we can trust uh, the Holy Spirit in us, and it can change the way we live and what we believe and the way we think. And these are the kind of things that don't necessarily feel real uh, to us in our day-to-day life, and we have to take them by faith that we truly have the Spirit in us, and we truly um, have these amazing blessings through the Spirit. So, letter A there, he, uh, he, the Spirit has given us life from sin, flesh, and death. So, throughout the first couple verses there, over and over again, it talks about how we have life in the Spirit. Uh, So, verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. And then it talks about living um, according to the spirit or the flesh. And then jump down to verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So again, to be uh, in the spirit is to, to have life and peace, not death. And then walking down to verse 10. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So it's kind of fun. There's some parallels here uh, to the life of Christ. The, The Holy Spirit was instrumental in the conception, the beginning of Christ's incarnation uh, with the Virgin Mary. And then again, the Spirit is the one who gives us life, and uh, that's through our union with Jesus. And then letter B, uh, we receive uh, the adoption as sons uh, through our faith in Christ, but then the indwelling Spirit in verses 14 through 17. Uh, verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. 
And so there we see uh, kind of that parallel again of Jesus' baptism where God speaks from above the Father and he says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And now through our faith in Christ and the Spirit's indwelling, we now have the privilege to be of sonship. We're adopted as children of God uh, before the Father. And I was reading a book recently uh, by Richard Sibbs. Um, it's the one about the broken flax and, and that stuff. What's it called? Yeah, Bruised Reed. And he talks about in there how we, the, the, Jesus and us were loved with one love from the Father because we are united to him and we have his righteousness and he took our sin and paid for it. We, we share that one love that the Father shows towards his Son. We become children of God, sons, co-heirs with Christ. And again, it's not something uh, to just breeze over that we are children of God. And it actually changes uh, so much of the way that we live because we're no longer uh, dead and lost and orphans. We're now children of God. Uh, Letter C there. He has given us hope from futility. Uh, So we'll... Uh, We won't read that part, but I encourage you to read it on your own time. Uh, But it just talks about how the whole creation is groaning, and it has a hope that that it will be redeemed. And uh, verse 23 says, Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting the adoption, the redemption of our body. And so we have the hope that this broken Uh, falling apart body will be redeemed uh, by God. And then letter D, he has given us help from weakness. So look down at uh, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So again, Romans 8 uh, just shows all of these blessings we have through the Spirit, all of these uh, new benefits and uh, new things that we can hope in and be helped by through the Spirit. And we have access to the Father through the Spirit. And we have the Spirit in us to help us with things. And it's easy to uh, just blow by that and forget it. But we need to trust uh, the Father uh, with His will and then trust the Spirit in us as uh, He fills us and leads us. Okay, last, uh, let's just turn over to Galatians 5. And so this is the text that has the fruit of the Spirit, which we're pretty well familiar with. But before and after it, uh, Paul just hits on the idea of walking in the Spirit as opposed to uh, walking in the flesh. And so this is kind of the, the, the fork in the road uh, at the end of our journey here where we're left with the decision, are we going to walk in the Spirit or are we going to walk in the flesh? And so starting in verse 16 of Galatians 5, It says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Paul makes it pretty easy there, but (laughs) in real life, it's hard to let go of the things that we want and to follow and and do what the Spirit wants us to do um, as He fills us and directs us. And so now we have a helpful uh, showing of the, the war within a believer the, the flesh against the spirit. And then he's going to point out the works of the flesh. And then he's going to point out the fruit of the spirit. And so as we, for application tonight, um, as we think about how do we uh, act upon what we know to be true of our identity in Christ, that we're united to him and that we have a spirit, we have to look at some of these things that are works of the flesh and say, am I doing these things? Well, that means I'm living in the flesh. I'm not walking in the spirit. And then how, uh, in what ways can I pursue uh, trusting the spirit, walking in the spirit in life? And so verse 17, 
For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Boy, isn't that true. You know, how many times do we have a moment in our life where it's like, why do I keep doing that? I don't want to do that, but I keep doing it. Uh, verse 18, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the past, in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so Paul points out all these works of the flesh that should be, we should be turning away from and walking in the Spirit. And so Jesus in his life, uh, he never uh, departed from walking in the Spirit. He, he stayed that line perfectly, but our lives are different. We, we struggle with this battle between us, between the residing flesh and the, the Spirit living within us, and we need to walk in the Spirit. And the cool thing about uh, the fruit of the Spirit is it's something, it's a fruit. It's something the Spirit is doing. It's not something that we can manufacture or do on our own and, you know, just try and do it our hardest. It involves uh, letting go of what we want and uh, wanting what God wants and seeking to be, uh, to let, to let the Spirit uh, live through us. And so a lot of the times, uh, Pastor Lance has a great way of, of saying it, that we show each other what Jesus is like. And so, you know, sometimes you see what Ryan is like, and that's sinful and, and fallen, but we want to show the fruit of the Spirit, what Jesus is like. And Jesus showed that perfectly in his life. So verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And then here he repeats it again. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so I just encourage you to think through uh, your own life. And, uh, you know, sometimes we can look really fleshy and think about, you know, am I walking in the Spirit? Is what people are seeing, is it what Jesus is like or is it what Ryan is like? And then how can I repent of that and pursue uh, being Christ-like and bearing the fruit of the Spirit? So thank you for your attention. On the last page, uh, you can see some, some songs there uh, that discuss our, uh, some of the benefits we have through the Spirit and who the Spirit is. And so those are some, some classics. I think we're going to go ahead and split off into our prayer group. Sorry I went a little long in the lesson tonight, but we have about 10 minutes for prayer. And uh, make sure if you have kiddos in the back that you, you pick them up uh, at 8.15. So thank you, everybody. You are dismissed.